0: Back from Columbus, Ohio, I'm Shane Metlin here with uh, Noah Fleischman, where we were we were in Ohio over the weekend, saw JMU women's basketball team play in the NCAA tournament, play well in the NCAA tournament for a half, um, really even into the fourth quarter, they were still in the game, but ended up falling to the third-seeded Ohio State Buckeyes, 80-66, um, to 66, uh, competitive game throughout, but you know when you get into desperation mode in the end and you're fouling and things. uh, Score probably doesn't quite indicate how close it felt for for, for much of the night, but um, that ends JMU's women's basketball season, um, kind of a bounce-back year for the Dukes to win the Sun Belt regular season tournament titles, get back to the NCAA tournament, and look like the kind of mid-major that could potentially pull an upset for a while there in Columbus. Um, We can get into why upsets don't happen quite as much in the women's side of things uh with the home court advantage things like that but um no you were sitting courtside with me during the game just what were your overall impressions of jmu women's basketball against i would say the best the clearly the best team they played all season
1: oh yeah for sure i mean you know JMU pulled out to an early 16 point lead which that was just taking advantage of ohio state just not hitting shots right so that, that happened. They took advantage, which they needed to. If you're going to win the game, you've got to take advantage of every mistake Ohio State makes, and, and they did, at, the, at least in the first half. I mean, what happened was fouls built up in the second quarter, and obviously State got to the line a ton, which allowed them to set their press up on a made free throw, and, you know, things snowballed pretty rather quickly, and, you know, a 16-point lead turned into a 3-point lead at the half, which turned into a Ohio State 15-point lead in the second half, so... 30-point swing there, but, you know, overall, I think it's a good showing for JMU back in the NCAA tournament for the first time in seven years. Um, and I think it starts to, you know, momentum going into next year already of, you know, a lot of these players are coming back. They're missing, they're going to lose at least one, possibly two, right, to graduation or mm-hmm. eligibility running out. And I think that it's a good building block to start, and I think Sean O'Regan said he wants them to get back here every year, and I think, you know, it might be a good start now that this whole team's got a taste of what winning in March feels like.
0: Yeah. And it it really felt like a return to a normal season for Jamie, which it hasn't had in a while with uh, various things, whether it be COVID, whether it be um, conference switches, injuries, a variety of things. It it felt for a while, like just nothing would went normally for uh, Jamie women's basketball team. And they got back to that and they got to kind of the normal result from the last 20 years or so, (laughs) like with the, with the exception of the last few, um, so you, you you hit on it a little bit. They should have the vast majority of this team coming back. um whether or not Kiki Jefferson is one of them probably probably uh makes a difference between whether the are uh, whether we're talking a team that should be among the sun Belt favorites or a team that should be the clear cut sun Belt favorite and the probably a a team that could win. A, a trendy pick to, a to be like one of those mid major powers that could, you know, do some damage.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if she comes back, they turn into a team that, you know, can win the first round game, possibly mm-hmm. win that second game. Um, I mean, we were talking about it in Columbus, right? If they had beat Ohio State, they'd get you, North Carolina, which we'll be playing tonight on Monday night, which could have been a winnable game, um, especially if we beat Ohio State. But it didn't. But I think overall, I think her impact is pretty big. Um, we saw it there. Uh, we saw it after the game, too. Um, so I think, you know, if she comes back, it's. sets this team up really well to have, you know, the piece back for one more year.
0: Yeah, and, you know, um, a piece that they will have back, um, presumably, is uh, Susha Kozlova at center. And really, like, after sleeping on it twice, having a six-hour drive home, think about it a little bit. Uh, I talked to Dave Rigert on uh, the radio. Almost running out of gas. This morning, yeah. Mm -hmm. But after, like, just, you know, a a couple days later – I almost feel like in the print coverage that we did, maybe we didn't even make a big enough deal out of her foul trouble in that game and how much that ended up impacting the result. She only played 14 minutes. She was looking good early on before she picked up her second foul and sat a lot of the first half. Yeah, ended up fouling out. She's the rare JMU big who's six four and can move at the same level that power five conference bigs move at. Um, and she really probably helped them breaking the press, like more than you would give credit to a center. Um, it seems like, you know, maybe the pressure wasn't even as great from Ohio state when she was on the floor. Cause they had to kind of keep tabs on her on the back line there. Um, so, I mean, I'll ask you, did we not maybe do justice to like what her foul trouble meant for jamie in that game i mean in my game story i know i didn't
1: i mean yeah i mean we had touched on it in the story where they struggled breaking the press which i mean when she was in they just put her at midcourt and you know throw her the ball turn around she can she's a pretty good passer she can move a couple steps with the ball and get over half court but i think you know early on we saw they went inside to her she she got a couple of tough baskets and and one you know it looked like the you know usual self of, of kozlova which is you know get to the basket draw fouls and, and get points she's really good at that did that the whole year and Unfortunately for her, the referees decided, you know, call the game tight at times. They called it tight around the basket to let things go at midcourt. Um, it's kind of the, you know, the theory that we had, like, you know, talking on the way home, which around the basket, if you went up, probably did get a foul called. But if you get tackled at midcourt, probably won't get a foul called. So I think that, that, that hurt. But um, if they weren't as, you know, ticky-tacky with fouls around the basket, I think she would have stayed in longer in the first half. And I think that, you know, it might take a 16-point lead, Jamie, you had in the first half and make it a 20, 25-point lead, which, yes, Ohio State can come back from, but at the same time, you know, that momentum is rolling and, and you're playing well with it. Yeah, and I mean,
0: I wouldn't even go as far as saying, like, maybe they can take it to a 25-point lead, but maybe they're still up by 10 at halftime as opposed to, like, they were just still hanging, hanging on, on at halftime. Um, and, you know, maybe the, maybe the vibe's a little bit different going into the locker room there. Um, and maybe you just respond to the Ohio State run a little bit better. Um, just throw it inside. And yeah, let it go. Get it in her, yeah, and, you know, and the press, you know, clearly uh, rattled JMU at times yep. in that game. And, you know, like we mentioned, I think she helped on the press more than you would think from somebody who's not really a primary ball handler.
1: No, but she gave the primary ball handlers a lot, you know a lot of real estate to find. You just got to throw it there; she'll, mm-hmm. she'll get it. And, I mean, she was the tallest person on the court. Yeah. I mean, especially in the post, they were playing Cody McMahon, who I think is five ten, 5'10", five, foot maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, she had this advantage there. But once she came out, McMahon was able to kind of, you know, help trap a little more because they were leaving her kind of in the middle of the court to, to watch Susha. But once she wasn't out there, they're trapping, too, and, and running. So I think that, you know, that played a big factor, too.
0: Yeah, and Ohio State wasn't hitting shots in the paint when Susha was on the court challenging them and, um, you know, she gets her second foul and, you know, that's about the time that, uh, McMahon scored nine points late in the first half as they cut into the JMU lead. Um, you know, all that was, you know, pretty huge factor I think in, uh, what ended up happening to Dukes, but on the whole, as we said, a, a really fantastic season for them. um, a solid season for the JMU men as they continue to build their program. So I think overall, um, overall, probably the most optimistic you have to be about uh, JMU basketball, the men and women's side, what's going on in the Atlantic Union Bank Center. Probably the, the best JMU fans can feel about hoops in several years.
1: Yeah, both teams are training really well right now. And I think that's something Jeff Bourne's probably really happy to see. Of course, you want to win an NCAA tournament game, but just getting back there, I think, was the first step for this mm-hmm. women's team, and the men's team is trying to do the same. Um, we'll see what they do next year, but they they had a chance, they made a run in the, in the Sunbelt tournament a little bit, but overall, I think, you know, Jamie basketball on the up-and-up men, you know, 21 season, three straight winning seasons for the first time in, you know, before well the well before I was born, and, and, you know, things like that, so I think both teams are trending in the right direction, and women are definitely just a step ahead, but I think the men are getting there too.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's um. I mean you have to go back to probably you know the 2013 14 era where you really thought like both JMU programs had a chance to get to the NCAA tournament at the same time, uh, which you know the men didn't do it this year, but you know they were in the mix in the Sun Belt. And the question now kind of turns to what happens to their rosters here over the next few weeks. Um, for the women you know I think I think the main question is probably if Kiki Jefferson comes back Yeah. Um, you know really have no idea where that stands at this point um, as I said you know earlier in a different interview I probably would have been leaning towards her being gone for the second half of the season um, their responses to the kind of Requests, I guess you could put it as far as like trying to figure that out here. Um, since the game ended, lead me to believe maybe the decision hasn't been made. I, I would still probably lean towards her, her going if I had to put money on it. But um, you know, it it does seem like maybe that the mind isn't made up and it certainly, certainly makes a huge difference as to what the expectations for JMU will be next year. I don't see them losing a ton otherwise uh to the portal there may be a few people but i feel like the core of the lineup and the and the um and the rotation should be back next year
1: yeah it will and i think you know i don't think a decision's been made obviously following the game you know the way they were talking during the press conference the body language on the court it appeared it could be her last game I think she may have treated it like that just in case, you know, she makes the decision to leave. So she, mm-hmm. you know, really embraced the moment. But, I mean, Kiki could always come back. She's got the old, the one COVID year left to, to use. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, they've got a lot of firepower coming back with Peyton McDaniel, Kopa King, Auea, Susha Kozlova. I mean, they're, they're doing well. They're really just going to need a point guard, I think, and at some point either get a veteran one or, you know, try to use – Uh, chloe sterling she's ready
0: yeah yeah that'd be definitely a question um is if they kind of you know hand the reins to chloe sterling at the point guard um when it comes to kiki she's clearly a pro she could clearly make a nice living playing professional basketball you know she could go to europe right now and you know play there but i think everybody the women's basketball at the professional ranks it's it's a different breed than the men's and the decision-making is different because they all want to play in the WNBA, but that's not the most lucrative place for them to play necessarily. Yeah. And it's certainly not the easiest place to land. To stick. Um, because, you know, you can go back a couple of years ago. Kamiya Smalls comes out of JMU. She gets drafted. She, you know, there's not as many teams in the WNBA. So if you, if you did apples to apples to the NBA, she would have been an early second-round pick. And those players typically have a really good shot at making a roster. In WNBA, that is far from a sure thing when you're drafted around number 30. Even Um, if you're a first-round pick. Yeah, first-round picks have gotten cut because there's just not enough WNBA roster space for the college talent that comes out every year versus what leaves the league. Um, So... If WNBA is her dream, and I think it is, that's not necessarily easy, even if you're good enough to play. And I think she is good enough. So, like, you know, we may see her taking, you know, some time here to just find out, you know, where she might be, what rosters are going to look like across the league, Um, you know, what, you know, might be available to her overseas. And if that's a better opportunity to eventually end up in the WNBA, there's a lot of factors at play as to yeah. opposed to the men where it's typically like, okay, my coach is gonna like talk to the scouts that he knows and find out am I a first round draft pick or not? Yeah. And that kind of like goes into the decision making. And it's a it's a lot different in women's um so yeah, I have no idea where where that ends up going with her.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I think, you know, it's definitely a thing where she can feel it out a little bit. I think, you know, Shauna Regan it's not like he's gonna fill that spot until she tells him I'm going to leave. I think that door mm-hmm. will always be open because that's who she is and you know obviously he's got a lot of a lot of respect for her and you know and just I think loves her just as a player and as a person
0: yeah and honestly this year too is probably one of the first times under O'Regan that he's carried 15 scholarship players that he could use at any time you know a lot of times like it's, it's a weird thing about the women's game where they have 15 scholarships as opposed to the men having 13 a lot of times like they almost kind of hate to use those 14th and 15th scholarships because you're just bringing in somebody who can't play. You could otherwise maybe keep it open and see who's available, like mid-season, transfer portal, things like that. Um, It it was sort of one of the rare times where O'Regan had all 15 of his scholarships filled, and they were all 15, like, none of them were glorified walk-ons. In in the past, there have been that, like, the 15th scholarship was somebody who, like, you know, there's a scholarship available, so why make them pay for school? As opposed to um you know these were all fifteen fairly highly recruited players who you know he could count on to put on the court like almost any time
1: yeah, I mean he could basically throw anyone on that bench into the game and they, they play I mean he did that against Marshall on the end of that game and they came back and you know put a little run together they didn't win the game, but I mean yeah took a twenty point deficit down to nine so yeah I mean, that's all shows.
0: that's all to say that even if you lose both Caroline and Kiki and nobody else you could almost just go with the roster you have there is absolutely no rush as you said to fill kiki spot and then find out that she's coming back like you know i think um, you
1: know if, if that would happen i think he'd definitely leave at least one scholarship spot open just to yeah see what happens. And exactly. always have the door open
0: exactly um yeah um on the men's side um still don't know much about like what's happening roster wise there it, it might not be much i mean
1: um, strickland terrell really
0: strickland do. is is gone um leaving presumably to go play for his dad, but that hasn't been announced at this point. Um, But as I've said uh, a few times, it would be, it's not shocking that he leaves. If he's leaving for any other reason than to go play for his dad, that would be surprising. Um, Just because he seemed to have uh, enjoyed it at JMU for a long time. Um, Haven't heard any other names uh, entering the portal from JMU. Um, I kind of expected that if it was going to happen, it might've happened um already, but it was also early in the week here or on Monday, just around uh early afternoon for us, uh on a Monday. Who who knows if maybe something <laughs> will happen even before we get done recording this. But yep. um right now, uh the Jamie Men also have like a nice core group of guys coming back, even losing Strickland and four Seniors. grad transfers, yeah, who were very experienced and very key players. Um when you look at what they presumably have coming back a terrence edwards uh noah friedell and xavier brown who looked really good at times as a freshman point guard and can maybe step into a bigger role this year um they look to be just kind of looking to fill some gaps and you know build around the core that they have right now
1: yeah i think you know they, they have a really good solid core on the men's side right now that's coming back for next year and you can get a couple impact transfers to make to kind of fill out your team. Obviously, Terrence Edwards probably going to be the go to guy next year, but doesn't mean he, someone in the portal that they can't bring in to be a number two or to kind of be that, you know, Batman to the, his Robin or whatever it is. But I mean, yeah, I think that they've got a lot of good guys coming back. Obviously, Biggs are, are where I would assume if they're going to portal, they're going to grab one. Obviously, mm-hmm. they've I think they've got what Jalen Carey coming in who can play yeah. there. But if you want someone to play right away, you know, Mark Byington. Doesn't usually play freshman a whole ton. I mean, just past two seasons, kind of observing. Um, So he could always go and get a grad transfer, a guy with two years left, and try to get it going.
0: He's done things both ways since getting to JMU Um, in the last two years. I think we've seen that he does like to get a lot of experience, depth, and run with those guys. But his first year at JMU, he did the kind of Batman and Robin thing, where it was you know it was Matt Lewis was the go to guy, Votto Morse. Yep. was you know could also give you 13 a game while lewis was scoring you know 20 a night um he did that and he played freshman that first year too you know we talked about terrell strickland leaving the most we saw of him was his freshman <laughs> year like because of his injuries justin Amadi, like was an immediate starter um coming mm-hmm. to his freshman year and terrence edwards who just continues to get better and better but he was probably maybe the number three freshman of that group yeah. um and now we're looking at him as potentially the Matt Lewis of the next guy. season. Um, if they kind of like go back to that you know, one-two punch, a, a clear go-to guy, it does sort of seem like it could be him next year.
1: Yeah, I think that he proved it. I mean, he came off the bench. It was a role I think that he embraced because the fact that Mark Byington really talked about this during the year, he brought him off the bench so he could be the guy of the second unit. And I think if you just make him the guy of the first unit and get the same result, same. Mm-hmm. I mean, he what he he was putting up numbers off the bench, and if you let him play, I mean, he's playing basically starters' minutes, so that doesn't really matter. But I mean, I think they've definitely got it. You can build this team around for the next couple years.
0: Yeah, and then the other aspect of it is, um, if you looked at the roster right now, uh, you know they may go out and get a scorer. But if you looked at the roster right now, coming back, Terrence Edwards. And Noah Friedel are your two most talented offensive weapons. Yep. Even even with Friedel not shooting as well last year as he had his first couple of years in college, um, you know if he bounces back to being, you know, a 35 percent three point shooter or better, he was close to 40 for most of his time at South Dakota State. Was closer to 30 this year. Um, if he shoots 35 percent or better from three, he's going to be a good offensive weapon for you. Terrence Edwards kind of done it all this year offensively um, in the minutes that he got. And those two guys really like playing together. Um, they've gotten along really well since the moment yeah. Friedel got to town. Um, they just really clicked, they play well together. Um, you know, Terrence Edwards has a ability and a tendency to make some flashy passes, and occasionally they go awry and occasionally there are just absolute wow moments.
1: We saw the one at ODU behind the back.
0: Yeah, a lot of those (laughs) passes go to Friedel because they have that chemistry. He knows where he's going to be. Um, The the successful ones tend to go to Friedel. (laughs) So I think it would be kind of interesting to see them turn around next year and sort of go to that model where it's – you know, two guys who kind of lead your offense, and then you have some other guys who can contribute. Uh, I don't know if that's the way it's going to end up playing out, but I think they could have some success that way.
1: It's a way you could do it, especially if you get, you know, a few guys averaging eight, seven, eight points a game, chipping in, and I think it works.
0: Yeah. Um, time of year where basketball's wrapping up or wrapped up here at JMU, um, and we get right back into football season. Spring practice coming yep, up, right. um, and – Pretty much as soon as we walk out of the studio, uh, Noah's heading over to Bridgeport Stadium for Pro Day. Pro day. See where, um, see if some of these guys that are leaving JMU can impress Pro Scouts who are probably in the car on the way from Blacksburg right yep. this moment where Tech had theirs this morning. Um, anything in particular you're looking to see among the JMU players at Pro Day? I think obviously... You know, Todd Senteo is going to be a guy who gets a lot of attention uh, as another quarterback looking to get drafted. Uh, but there's other guys who, um, this is a huge day for them to try to, you know, make a career.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a big, a big thing because, you know, pro days where you you really get a full day of being in front of as many, like the most amount of scouts you're going to get in front of in one sitting without actually going to the combine, which none of these guys did. Um, just how it is this year. But, you know, when you look at who's, out there, obviously, Todd Zinteo is the guy everyone's going to be, you know, all over. But, I mean, you've got a guy like Jamari Edwards, who could have some pro stock. He went to a few all-star games, probably got some feedback and, and working toward it. You've got to guy like Jordan Swan, maybe, um, you know, Devin Ravenel. But, you know, Chris Thornton, also going to be out there. So, plenty of guys that Todd will be probably throwing the ball to um, during his throwing portion of the of the thing. But, overall, it'll be good. There's 12 total guys that will be out there and, you know. Named a few. You got a couple of specialists in Sam Clark and Kyle Davis. Um you got Noah Turner and Drew Painter tight ends. So I think it'll go well. Um I'm kind of kind of interested to see, you know, and Sam Kidd is also gonna be out there who he had his third shoulder injury in his what six years at JMU. Um so mm-hmm. kind of intrigued to see, you know, what his mindset is after, you know, missing the end of the year with an injury. It looks like he wants to pursue the next level. Noah Turner who just finished his seventh year of college football and was injured this year for a little bit of it so might talk to those guys about you know why you want to keep going you've been playing football it's been kind of beating your body but i think it's kind of every kid's dream to pursue the nfl and i think that's what they're what they're really shooting for right now and we'll see what happens um but yeah i mean of course todd centeo is gonna definitely be like the the one that everyone pays attention to but you know there's everyone else that'll be trying to do their thing and you know we'll we'll get some videos up especially if todd's throwing i know people like to see that and and we'll see what happens, but it should be a good day.
0: Yeah. One one of the things about this uh, time of year with Pro Days that both uh, amazes me and just makes me feel terrible about myself is when you see the the before and after pictures mm-hmm. that their agents put out from, like, uh, you know, saw Chris Thornton. For, like, early, a 25 early speed. day Yeah, what they can do to their bodies just, like, with, yeah, two months' <laughs> worth of, like, absolute focus in the weight room uh, is, is pretty amazing because, you know, they take the picture from – November or early December when the season ends to now, and basically over the course of one basketball season, some of these guys like absolutely transform their, <laughs> their bodies. Like, I mean, we saw it like, with, with Mike Green last yeah. year. Yeah. He,
1: he lost, I think, you know, 20 or 30 pounds or something like that. He put on a lot of muscle though, and yeah. you know, it paid off. He got a, you know, he went from being a pro day at JMU to impressing um the Bears scout and the Buccaneers scout Got rookie minicamp invites to those two after the. After the draft, impressed at Bucks camp and didn't ever leave Tampa. He got, yeah, you know, he got a contract. So I think that even if these guys don't get picked in it in April's draft, keep an eye because today is the day where they basically earn themselves an invitation to a, to a tryout.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, talk about a guy if he ends up signing a second NFL contract, those two months that we're talking about, or we're talking about you know million dollar months. Like it's a yeah. uh, it. It's pretty crazy. Um. Yeah. Anybody else? I guess. Um. Pro day or as spring practice. Uh. Gets close to rolling around. That kind of jumps out to you as just here, here's somebody we're gonna be hearing about a lot over the next couple
1: months. I mean, obviously, the quarterback position is gonna be something we're gonna be talking about for the next. What's today? Monday, March twentieth. So March. 20th. That's month three to month. So the next six months, look at that math right there. I, yeah, I can do yeah. math in my head. So for the next six months, quarterback will obviously be the conversation. Four guys gunning for the top spot. Um, wide receiver, though, I think is going to be big. You know, a bunch of new faces already on campus, and you're going to have a bunch more showing up when the freshmen arrive over the summer. Um, those are two spots I'm looking at. Um, defensively, kind of secondary is a question mark right now. But I think offensive side of the ball has got a lot more turnover than defensive side of the ball. Defense only lost – one starter, Jamari Edwards. Maybe in Sam kids, so two starters. Um, but other than that, defense stayed really intact, it's like the seventh like highest, you know, return rate in the FBS. And the offense kept the offensive line the same, but basically everyone else aren't going to be the same. I mean, you got the running back room which is pretty solid right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm focused on quarterback and wide receiver.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think that quarterback battle obviously, you know, makes Makes it easy to at least have something to uh, talk about over
1: the next... But next I will season. put this out there now, before people blow me up on Twitter. <laughs> we do not watch the full practice at spring. The only full practice we get to watch at spring is the spring game. Yeah. So for those asking about the quarterback battle, we will ask about the quarterback battle, but we really only get to see them do their full work drills, do some passing and routes. Don't get to see them in 11-on-11 till spring game happens, so mm. please don't really blow us up about who's starting quarterback because it's march 20th and they didn't name the starting quarterback last year until 45 minutes before the the first game which we knew who the start was gonna be by that point but just saying that yeah don't expect the start to be named by april 22nd spring game
0: right and you know i would also you know hopefully this is not the case but i would be shocked if uh they don't even make any quarterbacks available to the media for I, I, for, I can, for a while. I can promise <laughs> we, we we can ask, we can beg, we, we can plead, we can request. we can, we can throw you, tantrums, but it doesn't, it's not gonna it doesn't. It doesn't tend to work.
1: work. Until Bucknell, I don't think we'll see a quarterback be made available for the media. Could be wrong. Maybe that happens. Yeah. But that's just how it went last year when they had a competition. Would expect the same thing this year. Um, but yeah. you know, practice starts on Thursday, and you know. I think it's going to be three times a week after that, so we'll be rolling.
0: It's a shame. Todd Sanseo was such a good interview, and we missed months and months' worth of uh, yeah. talk there. Um,
1: but I get but to, I'll get grab him today. I'll grab him today. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, about time to wrap it up. We can quickly run through those other spring sports we didn't really talk about. JMU Lemons, lacrosse, top five nationally number as five. of today. Number five. Um, UNC was number one. They took their first loss. Um, that's Same. JMU's only loss. I mean, right now, I mean, JMU's ranked number five, but right now, it really does kind of look to be like UNC, Syracuse, Northwestern, JMU, Denver, Denver. Like those are teams that could all be playing on the last day of the season.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, JMU is really impressing me right now. They've got two top ten wins. They lost North Carolina. Doesn't really hurt them. I don't think it matters. Um, yeah. But, yeah, two top ten wins, which is catapulted them from a preseason 13 ranking to number five before they host Dunn Virginia on Wednesday. Uh, but, yeah, and then, you know, we look around the diamond sports. Softball got its first Sunbelt Series win. Baseball got its first Sunbelt Conference win over the weekend. So both of them played coastal. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, softball almost could have swept it. They just got walked off on it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. A little disappointing they didn't end up with the sweep for uh, softball. But um, the pitching was promising. Uh, in that series, if that's if that's an indication of what's to come in the Sun Belt, uh, with a coastal team that I don't know what kind of non-conference schedule they played, but their record was really good um, going into the series. If that's an kind of indication of kind of pitching they might get in the Sun Belt, they should be quite competitive.
1: I think they should be. I mean, you know, yesterday Alyssa Humphrey took a perfect game into the fifth, no hitter into the sixth, I believe, and yeah, and then Kyla Berry came on and you know did her thing and, and did pitch well, so. Softball doing well, lacrosse doing well, baseball took a, a, a win on Saturday's game, could have won yesterday's game too, yeah. a tight affair. I mean, after getting blown out on Friday, they, they rebounded really well.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it happens. Sometimes, like, it baseball. It doesn't go your way.
1: Baseball's a long season. Yeah,
0: they, and, you know, baseball sometimes is where the pitching is just not there one game and you come back to the next and it's a completely different day. Um, but similar to softball, they kind of feel have to feel like they let one get away a little bit based on the pitching performance they got. From their starter on Sunday. Um, but they did get that first Sun Belt victory under their belt. Had to feel like they're capable of winning series against solid teams mm-hmm. after that, even though they let it get away. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening with the baseball team here down the line. But in the meantime, that's uh, the latest to this week's edition of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. Um, we'll be getting into spring sports heavily here uh, in the coming weeks, but for now, I'm Shane Metlin. Uh You've been listening to me along with Noah Fleischman, back from Ohio, back in the Berg, and that's where we'll be for a little while, covering all kinds of JMU sports, and thank you for listening.